if you try to determine like, well, do I see myself with that person for the rest of my life? And like, you haven't even talked to them yet. Like what <laughs> you, you can't do that. You're, you're shooting yourself in the foot and you don't know if, even if you're not attracted to that person, but you're pulled towards them, you could be friends first. And then that could develop into a relationship. Maybe their brother or sister is someone that you end up with, but just take it step-by-step. Step. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. to another episode. I am pleased to have with me Camille Virginia. Um, she is the founder of Master Offline Dating and author of The Offline Dating Method, Three Steps to Attract Your Perfect Partner in the Real World. Yes, we're talking about real world, guys, not online dating today. And I'm very excited about this because a number of clients have this question, right? How do I meet women in real life? How do I meet women not on the apps? Because I think the apps can be challenging for a number of, uh, for lots of people. Um, but I know, especially for my clients, the number of matches that they get is can be low and it can be frustrating and people ghost and everything. So I think it's a great topic, very timely as we're sort of moving in and out of the COVID COVID mandates, it's getting easier to meet people offline. So um, yeah, I would love to hear, first of all, just how you got into this field, how you got into the field of dating and 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 offline dating in particular. Uh, yeah. Thanks for having me, Melanie. Um, I completely fell into this. I was in corporate for a decade. I'm an introvert. I grew up with social anxiety. And so if you had told me that I would become an entrepreneur who helped other people meet other other people in the real world, you know, like 10 years ago, I would have looked at you like you had three heads. So, um, but I'm very passionate about connection. And it kind of started when I moved to Chicago for Portland, Oregon. I was dating a guy. He broke up with me within the first three weeks. I had no friends. It was the middle of winter. I needed to meet people. So I forced myself to go out and um, and make friends. And I just, I fell in love with connecting. Yeah, I I really appreciate what you said there about well, a couple things. One, the need to make friends as an adult is very real. And I think it's a lot more challenging than when we're young because in school, whether that's high school or college or even middle school, you're around a lot of peers which obviously comes with its own stressors, but it also makes it pretty easy to see people on a regular basis, right? To see people every day or every week, or if you're in sports, right? Every weekend, but seeing people on a regular basis tends to facilitate connection. And then we become adults and it sort of, that evaporates a lot of the time, right? If you're not in an office where you're seeing people regularly, you're not necessarily exposed to people. So um, I can relate to that part of sort of like, forcing yourself to go out and being like, I have, this has to be part of my life. And I'm wondering, because I know that I definitely have clients with social anxiety. Can you speak a little bit to how you did that in terms of forcing yourself to go out, right? Like what was that decision like in your head? And then what was it like to actually go out and do that? 
Um, it was hard because when you're lonely and you're getting over a breakup, it's you have an even bigger fear of rejection. You have an even bigger, um, you don't want to come off as desperate because you are a little bit desperate. And so, you know, that's just added weight to, you know, you want to come off as confident. Hey, I'm a cool person. I'm fun. I'm not normally, you know, kind of depressed like this, but this is how I'm meeting you. So it's, I, I really just, I had to, I was so just down on myself. I'd never been in the Midwest winter before uh, as an adult. And I was just like, I can't just sit here and do this. And so I, um, I made it, I'm very organized and very action oriented. And so I was like, who do I know in Chicago? Who said they have a cousin here? If I go to a coffee shop, how can I start a conversation? Like I just looked for all these different ways that I could connect with people in a way that felt not desperate. Cause I definitely was like sitting in Starbucks at one point looking at groups of friends and wondering, can I go over there and just tell them I'm really nice and cool and ask to be their friend? No, that's not, that's weird. Camille, don't do that. So um, I just made it very simple and casual, just a little like, Hey, I love your scarf or what should I get? I don't, I'm not really sure what drink I should get. What do you think? And then just see if they were open to engaging and take it from there. I think that's a really good point about see if they're open to engaging. You know, I've talked to clients before about sort of knocking on a door and seeing, does the door open, right? Knocking on opening doors instead of continuing to knock on a closed door. So there's a, there's a bit of a dance there of, you know, uh, the, that story you told reminds me of, I was extremely lonely in college. And I remember that we had this library with this beautiful plate glass window. So you could watch people walk by the library. And I remember sitting and reading and watching a group of guys, like, just kind of like, I don't know, horsing around with each other, like four or five guys walking by. And I just felt such a stab of like, loneliness. Like, Oh, I wish I had a crew. I wish I had friends. I was so sad and lonely. And I just remember looking at them and feeling like a certain amount of jealousy. Like, how did you do that? Right. How did you get there? And I think what you're speaking to is, is part of how you got there was continually creating openings for connection and then seeing who who comes back, right? Who hits the tennis ball back to me mm-hmm. instead of just continuing to hit the tennis ball at people that are like not re- really ready. Because the truth is even as adults, right? Some of us already have a, a friend set or a, enough connection in our lives and we're not really looking for more. But the sweet spot is who who is available, right? Who are the people that are available? So I'm curious in that you know scenario that you laid out, about how long did it take for you to build connections? Because I think it's an, another, it takes a, a while or it can take a while and it can be sort of, you know, yeah, lonely in that process. So how did you, how long did it take and how did you keep the faith while it, while it was happening? Um, I would say it took a few months to really find my people. And I love what you said about, yeah, some people are, you know, they already have their friends. I don't know, for me, I have so many friends now just all over the world in Portland where I live, like, and, and there's such quality relationships and I love that, but I'm still open to meeting new people. And so actually if someone kind of were to to shut me down, whether it was when I first moved to Chicago, or if I'm just talking to someone casually in a grocery store and I'm getting the vibe that they don't want to talk, then that's, that's great because that means that they're not open to meeting new people, which is something that I actually value as a trait in my friends. So we wouldn't jive anyway. So they, they kind of self-filter themselves out. <laughs> yeah, that's a really good point because I, I, 
I agree in terms of I have lots of friends too, and I'm always open to meeting new, interesting people. And there's a quality of open-mindedness and um, yeah, just openness. I think that is attractive, not necessarily, you know, sexually attractive dating wise, but just it's attractive and it's the kind of person that you kind of want to be around more. And I also find that those types of people are often connectors. So they'll connect you with others. Yeah. So, so you mentioned it taking a few months. Um, Did you have a process where you, I guess what I'm wondering is, did you say to yourself, okay, I'm going to go to one sort of organized event a week, like a meetup group or some kind of zoom was this during the pandemic you were doing this or was this this was 10 11 years ago this is 2010 oh okay this was okay so no not during the pandemic um, uh-uh. did you have a, a system at all of i'm gonna do this many sort of organized events did you join clubs or was it just talking to people in in coffee shops uh it was a combination of all those things i so when i first moved back after college in california to portland in 2005 i went through a similar process i actually I've been through this process several times now that I think about it, where I moved somewhere, I'm dating a guy, we break up, I'm alone. And then it's like, I got to figure this out. And every time I got better and better at, at doing it. But um, I joined a lot of organizations that first time coming back to Portland and I kind of overexerted myself. I was just so lonely after having such a great friend group in California and then having no one, not even a boyfriend in Portland. So I just was kind of like, I was pretty desperate, I will say. So I went to things that didn't totally fill me up and I kind of spread myself too thin. So I think finding a balance between what organizations or meetups genuinely let you up, do you feel pulled towards as opposed to forcing yourself to go to everything and burning yourself out. And then also just going about your day, doing errands, going to the grocery store, the coffee shop, the post office, the bank, the dog park, and purposefully look for opportunities to connect. Like, What's popping in your head about these people? Like, oh, I love that person's dog. I'm going to go comment on their dog or ask them a question. And then before the fear can set in, you got to go do it. Otherwise, you're going to talk yourself out of it. Yeah, I think that's a good point of not not overthinking it and just just training yourself to go and and say something, (laughs) right? It doesn't need to be something big because then, like we've said, you kind of gauge the person's availability because if you just say something open people are generally going to participate, right? They're going to say something back. They're going to help you out and close people or people that are not having a good day. And we've all been there are going to be a little bit more short and they're not going to be as available. And I appreciate also wanted to go back to something you said earlier of, it sounds like one of the first things you did was also who has a cousin here, who do, who sort of reaching out to your own network and Mm -hmm. saying, who knows someone in Portland or who knows someone in Chicago or in my case, who knows someone in Kansas city, which I definitely did. And just making a few of those connections really makes a difference because again, those people have house parties. Those people have barbecues. You know, those people are in, you have a conversation about something you're interested in like ceramics and they're like, Oh, you should meet this other person. And it, it tends to open doors. And given how connected, how connected we all are now, even on social media, I can't tell you the number of times when I moved to Barcelona, for example, I just posted on Facebook and said, who knows someone in Barcelona. And I met one of my best friends that way because someone knew someone who knew someone who'd gone to my school. <laughs> that was it. And that was enough. And she happened to be really amazing, but it's, it's, it's important what you said there, because that's not going to a meetup or extending yourself in some 
random direction, it's there's a there's a warm connect there, right? It's someone's cousin or it's someone's friend. Hey, my friend just moved to Chicago. Here's her contact. You know, maybe you guys can get coffee. Is it is different from a public event? So it sounds like, yeah, you did both of those things. Yeah, exactly. And I love what you said about the warm connect. I mean, I, I, now that I think about it, I probably went on Facebook and looked at everyone who I was Facebook friends with who lived in Chicago, um, or who posted about Chicago or whatever. And, and then just kind of, I made it, I'm very organized and I like, am very um, productive and efficient. So I made a list and I would just cross off the list and you get momentum going, you know, if you like put a lot of pressure on yourself, okay. I've written this note to my friend to introduce me to her cousin and I've read it 10 times. And, you know, if she says, no, I don't know what I'm going to do. But like, if you've got a list of like four or five people who have fans, uh, family or friends in the city that you're living in, if you don't hear back from two of them and one's like, oh, my cousin's going through a divorce, you know, and not really open to meeting new people and whatever, then you get two out of five and the other rejections quote, um, you don't really even bother. You don't even care because you're meeting up with two new people. And like you said, that just expands your circle to all the people that those people know. Yeah. I'm curious about the, the, the coffee shop scenario too, that you mentioned of just being open to connection and meeting people, you know, in person. Um, I think that one, um, one sort of awkward moment can be the end of the conversation right? Where it's like, we connected. Hey, you know, how do you like, I'll usually say, Hey, are you on Instagram? Because it feels like a bridge moment of I'm not asking for your number. And I'm, I'm still mostly sort of talking about uh friend ma- making friends, but I think mm-hmm. this also is true in dating, you know, absolutely in the dating scenario of it's sort of a softer ask than can I have your number? And I've noticed lately that many people have said, I am, but I'm not really on Instagram. Let me just give you your, my number, but it feels mm-hmm. like it's after ask. So I'm just curious for, for listeners who might be thinking, okay, yeah, I'd say I like your scarf and we talk about mochas, but then how, how do I, <laughs> how do I keep the connection alive? How do I actually say, get together with this person to go do something later? Yeah. So that's actually, I walk people through my three-step process in my book, um, the offline dating method. And the first is to just be approachable. So it's really just um, wear something that could be a conversation starter that makes you feel confident. You know, if you're running around in ratty gym clothes all the time and you're not feeling confident, that's going to be a barrier to connecting with people. Um, So take those off the table as much as you can. Uh, The second step is to have a casual icebreaker. And so, like I mentioned, just something casual and contextual, like a pre-planned pickup line can feel forced and will be out of context for the person. Whereas if you just what think about something ge- that you genuinely want to know, like, huh, that person's holding a box of granola bars. I wonder if there's macadamia nuts in there or, you know, things like that. And then just go ask that question, you know, whether you've got to care a little bit about the question, but just something casual to kick that off. And then the third step is to transition that to getting a date, whether it's a friend date, romantic date, whatever. And this is where you can get intentional because just ask questions like, so what are you up to this weekend? What do you do for fun? I just moved here. What do you recommend? Uh, What are your favorite things to do in the city? And then the the other person will start sharing and you can chime in with, oh, what's, uh, tell me about that. That looks, sounds interesting. I'll add that to my list or, oh, I want to try that out. That's great. 
And then when you're like, so I think I'm actually going to go to that place you recommended. If you want to go, let me know. Um, or here's my number if you if you are interested in going. So it's about the place and the activity as opposed to, you know, do you want my number? I'm not really sure where this is going. That's a lot of pressure, but there's a purpose for the exchange of information. That makes a lot of sense, especially if you've recently moved somewhere and you're still figuring it out. I know that um, I was talking to someone recently and I'm a musician. I play guitar and I was asking, and he was also a musician. I was asking him about jam nights and things that have to do with musicians in the city. Cause I I'm not familiar yet. And that was one of the things that we connected about and eventually exchanged info. And it was, you know, pretty, pretty flowy. So I do think it's, it's one of those things that, you know, it, it does help to, to also just sort of be developing yourself in some way. I think, especially artistically, there's just something about, you know, spoken word or improv or music or dance or something that's not work-related or something too um, cerebral that I think kind of lights people up in a different way. That's something that I've been noticing lately is that there's something about creativity that connecting around creativity feels different. It has a different vibe. And um, even, even, you know, something like hiking, right? Different places to hike are beautiful places in nature, especially since it's, it's, you know, it's summer time here in North America. So there's lots of outdoor stuff to do. And that's also pretty COVID safe. There's a lot of creativity around just like, where are some beautiful places in the area to go? And I think that's even true if you've lived in an area for a long time, because I know, you know, some of my clients are in smaller towns or they've been in the city that they've lived in for a long time, but they haven't really connected or they're moving into sometimes they're outgrowing old friend groups, right? Which can be another form of transition, but can also be disorienting because you technically have connections in your city or your town, but you don't really want to be around them anymore, right? You're, you're growing, you've outgrown a certain set of connections. And that's another sort of phase of, oh, it's time for me to bring in some new energy. It's time for me to invite in new, new connections into my life, whether those are dating or otherwise. And you know, I think this is a good segue a little bit to, I'm wondering, because in your book, you're really talking about partnership or you're talking about attracting a partner, you're talking about dating relationships. I'm curious if you have had the experience of, you know, thinking someone was going to be a dating partner and then they ended up being a friend. And how have you found that, you know, in your own sort of journey? Yeah. So I like to release the outcome of whatever a connection is supposed to be. I say focus on opportunities, not outcomes, because who am I to say who this person is going to be? You know, maybe I am physically attracted to them or I'm just pulled towards them or I think they're interesting or there's something there. I don't know what that is yet. It's not my, I don't have enough information. It's not my job. My job is to go explore that connection and then just release the outcome and see where it is because it, um, if you try to determine like, well, do I see myself with that person for the rest of my life? And like, you haven't even talked to them yet. Like what <laughs> you, you can't do that. You're, you're shooting yourself in the foot and you don't know if, even if you're not attracted to that person, but you're pulled towards them, you could be friends first. And then that could develop into a relationship. Maybe their brother or sister is someone that you end up with, but just take it step by step. Don't put so much pressure on yourself. And 
explore and create opportunities with people and then let the outcome unfold as it's meant to just show up as your authentic self and you will be guided into whatever that connection is supposed to be, which may just be a a moment with them may just be, they need a smile. You need a smile. And that's all it's meant to be. Yeah. I like that. It's a, you know, something we tell our clients sometimes is to follow the energy, follow the energy, whether you're relating with someone in the moment and you, you hear something or something happens in the conversation, follow the energy, but also follow the energy in terms of who you're meeting and, and how you're meeting them. So I'm, I'm wondering, yeah, because I think there's pretty big contrast between the apps and meeting offline. So in your, in your work and in the course of writing your book, can you speak a little bit to the differences between meeting someone offline versus meeting someone online? Oh gosh. Yeah. Well, I mean, biologically we're social creatures. We're meant to be in the presence of other humans that we, we are wired to crave that. And actually loneliness is really just mother nature's loving nudge to get back to the tribe because she wants you to survive, you know, and not until, you know, really a couple hundred years ago, if that, if you were alone, that meant you were not in the tribe and that meant you were going to die because what, what kept our ancestors alive is that community that, you know, growing food together, hunting together, supporting each other. It takes a village to raise kids. And so that's what loneliness is. It really didn't come about until the past. So like the industrial revolution, I think. And so if you think about loneliness in that way is it's, it's a nut, it's like hunger, but hunger and thirst are more acute. And we're like, I'm hungry. I'm going to eat something. Loneliness is just connection. And and that's, it is possible to get that behind a screen, but at a fraction of what you actually get from in-person connection, because that's how we're wired. Like mother nature is not going to catch up to um, knowing that you're safe and connected from behind a screen for probably thousands of years. Like that's, it just takes that long an evolution for things to be like, Oh, okay. (laughs) So yeah, it's, it's just kind of reframing how people connect and it's that in person, like nothing can replace that, that energy exchange that you get in person and people really step it up too. You know, you can't be mean you have to look in the face of someone and see if you say something mean, you're going to see hurt on their face and that's going to send signals to your body to knock it off. And you just treat people more like humans. Yeah. And there's copious research to back up what you just said there, especially after 2020, there's just, there's a lot of research about Facebook arguments versus when you get people together in a room, it's a completely different scenario. And I think there is this strange separation, you know, in in the world of online dating of there's a lot of ghosting. There's a lot of ghosting that happens and it's easy to take it personally. And you just don't know, you know, I remember a client who was connecting with a woman who ghosted and I just intuitively felt like maybe she was depressed. I've had people ghost that are struggling with depression or anxiety and later they reconnected and it turned out that was the case. So there's, there's just so much information you don't get when you can't see someone's face and you can't hear their voice. So there's, there's, it's almost like online dating is set up for disconnection Mm -hmm. instead of connection. And I think there's, yeah, there's just a lot to be said for, yeah, for the real world. And, you know, even just 
in-person speed dating events, right? You're going to get a, a sense of everyone in the room in a way that you can't when you're online. So yeah. So in terms of people that are looking to sort of get, get offline and do more offline and meet more particularly dating partners offline, um, what kinds of events or spaces would you recommend? So this is sort of after you've maybe reached out to the people in your network uh, about it, but what kinds of events or spaces would you recommend? Because I know you also said there was a way that you got burnt out uh, when you were in certain cities and just sort of spreading yourself too thin. Did you find that there were certain ones that worked better or what's your recommendation there? Um, I think what's going to work best for each person is what genuinely lights them up. So the reason I got burned out was because I didn't want to be alone with my thoughts after the breakup. And so if there was a blank night on my calendar, I found something or someone to fill it up. And so there was no screening. There was like, I'm doing Toastmasters, Junior Chamber, Ivy Pole, I'll see Jen for happy hour. And it was more of just like, I need to be busy. So I'm not alone and depressed. <laughs> but I mean, loneliness can happen when you're around the wrong people. Like you were talking about outgrowing your friend groups and it can actually be more lonely to be like in a, in a, a marriage or a relationship where you feel alone than to physically be alone because you're like, well, I shouldn't feel alone because I have somebody, but I feel so lonely. I'm not seen, I'm not heard. So there's different types of loneliness. Um, but yeah, I forgot your original question. <laughs> I was just asking about, you know, types of events or types of, that's right. Yeah. Because the, I think there's a lot of people with that question of like, okay, but where do I go to meet open-minded women, right? Where do I go to meet women that would be great dating partners? And of course there's no perfect answer, but I was just wondering in the course of your research that you did for this, you know, what did you find? What would you recommend for people? Yeah. Um, so go where you genuinely have an interest and go where you like tap into places where you're already planning on going. I mean, I, Sometimes I'd be very intentional about um, meeting men and I would be like, all right, group of guys over there at the party. I'm going to go talk to them, which took a long time to build up to that, by the way. I used to not even be able to walk into a party by myself. So it's, you know, it's definitely possible to get to um, uh, pushing yourself to that level. But start wherever your comfort zone is. Think about all the places you're already going. Like I said, the coffee shop, the dog park, uh, walking down the street, you know, we are, I think I took a walk in Chicago through one of the neighborhoods and it was like a 45 minute walk. It was after work on like a Tuesday night. And I had a little counter thing. And for every adult that I passed, I clicked the counter. So this was men and women. And by the end of it, I think I had passed 551 people in 45 minutes. So, I mean, yeah. So if you divide that into by, you know, depending on what gender you're attracted to, and then maybe divide that into divided by two again, you know, half or single, half or in a relationship. That's still like what, 150 people or something like that. So we pass more people than we realize. And if you are passionate about Ivy poles and nature and cleaning up the environment, then go to an event like that because there's going to be like-minded people there. And if you don't meet anyone, you're still going to have fun and, and do good for the, for the environment. So it's a win-win really. Yeah. There's something else that you mentioned that I thought was important about this isn't just for people who are not in a relationship. I think that what we're really talking about here is 
connection. And to your point, there are a lot of people in unhappy relationships. And I know because I talked to a lot of them, uh, particularly <laughs> men who are in marriages that are not not connected, where maybe they're having sex, maybe they're not. A lot of the time they're not. And there's just, they're just, it's just transactional. They're just roommates. They're just co-parents. They're not actually even deeply friend connected, right? They're not really friends. They're just doing households together and recognizing that you're lonely is actually a good idea, even though it can be counterintuitive because once you realize that you can take more, more steps there. And I think there's, there's an illusion of, there's this illusion of, oh, I'm, I'm with my family or I'm with my partner. Therefore I shouldn't be lonely when really, if you're in a disconnected relationship, you're actually often more lonely to your point than just being by yourself. So it's never too late. And there's never, you know, there's always room for new connections, especially when they're around things that you're passionate about that actually make you feel more alive. Right. And that's, I think that that's the connection piece that I want to highlight is there's always space for what, what you're actually passionate about in this season of your life and connecting with others that are passionate about that same thing. And there's, really no limit to that, right? There's no point in your life at which that's not going to be true because we're always evolving. We're always changing. You're going to be interested in new things this in this season than you have in other seasons. And that's, I think, part of the, the point of being present, really present in your life is recognizing those moments. Of, oh, I'm really interested in, for example, growing mushrooms, right? Getting into growing mushrooms can be something that you're like, this is fascinating. They, some of them can grow overnight, right? It's like really interesting and connecting with your local society, mycology society that grows mushrooms. You're going to meet interesting people and they're going to be ahead of you in the in that area of whatever it is you're interested in. And it's going to bring newness and vitality and love and awareness into your life that wasn't necessarily there. And that's really important because one of the things I've noticed in clients is sometimes you don't notice how unhappy you are or how disconnected your relationship is until you have that contrast of, oh, I forgot what it's like to have a connected conversation. I forgot what it's like to feel this spark of aliveness. And yeah, I'm just wondering, you know, do you have any anecdotes like that in the course of doing this, writing this book, or I'm sure you've spoken to a lot of people about that in terms of that regaining that spark or that aliveness? Yeah, my book, I mean, especially the third step, which is actually half the book, um, is all about creating a meaningful connection, whether you've known someone for 20 seconds or 20 years. And it really is just about getting curious. I mean, like you said, Melanie, people are changing all the time. So even if you've known someone for a long time, maybe you haven't chatted for six months, maybe they have had a cancer diagnosis in that time, or they started their own business, or they moved to a different city, they're learning and changing and growing too. And so I love catch-up dates with my friends who don't live in the same city as me because they're always doing interesting things. They're a little bit different. They share insights and, and I'm able to do the same because I'm learning and growing over here. So it doesn't get stagnant. Um, and yeah, so I don't know, to just really remember why are why is this person in your life? What brought you guys together? Maybe it was a shared love of 
something hiking and you guys haven't been on a hike in a long time, like get your butt out there and go for a hike together. Like try to reestablish and remember why you're with this person. Check in with questions like, what's something that's making you really happy or what's something that is stressing you out right now? Like every human has an answer to those questions. And oftentimes we can feel like, well, I, she's my wife. I should already know what's stressing her out or I already know what's stressing her out. And it's like, no, ask her what, what is stressing her out just as a woman to be able to just share and be asked that question is amazing. And that can really be a bonding moment. And then, you know, the husband or her, or her wife, whoever her partner is, can then share what they're stressed about and they can see how they can help each other. And that's a way to kind of get deeper and rebond is just asking, not assuming and getting to know or re-know the person that you're in a relationship with. Yeah. And, and family members, that's mm-hmm. something I've been surprised about is actually the people that we spend a lot of time with or, or, or you only see rarely, again, we, we tend to do like what's happening. How are you? But there's a different structure to what's stressing you out in your life or what's lighting you up. And I think this is a good, a good point around the structure of how you connect. And I'm a big fan of connection games. So one I would share here is called Rose, Bud and Thorn. I don't know if you've ever played it, but essentially you each share a rose, a bud and a thorn in your life at the present moment. And a rose is something that's blooming in your life, something that's actually being created. So for me right now, I feel there's a lot of community building happening in my world. So that's a rose that's blooming, right? It's a bloom. And then a bud is something that hasn't bloomed yet, but it's, it's on the way, right? It's a little bud and it, it could sprout, you know, it could become a flower. You're not sure yet, but it's something that's kind of like budding in your awareness. And then a thorn is exactly what it sounds like, but just something like that with a friend or with a new connection, like, Hey, let's go around and share this. Do you guys want to play a game is just drops it down to a level of depth that is surprising. You'd be surprised at how much just a little bit of structure can give to a conversation. And I think especially for, for the men leading, sorry, for the men listening that do want to kind of lead more in their lives and in their connections. Hey, do you want to play a game? Let's play this game can be like, people will be impressed (laughs) and pleased with your leadership around that because a lot of people want deeper connection and they want more depth, but they don't know necessarily how to get it. Exactly. And that's really what my book is. Don't tell anybody. (laughs) It's not like the whole secret to getting a date in the real world is creating a meaningful connection because people are so starved for that. You know, I, I work with women who usually fall into one of two categories when they're challenged with meeting men offline. And one is they don't have the confidence to, in themselves, to feel approachable, to feel like they're worthy of talking to people. So that's one category. The other category is women who are a little bit more extroverted and they go out and they, they're like, I talk to people all the time and I never get dates. And I'm like, all right, well, what do you talk about? Give me an example. And they're talking about the weather or someone's shoes or something and they don't know how to get deeper. It's like, if you have a 30 second conversation with someone about shoes, they're not going to want that. That's a preview of what they think that you're going to bring to the table. They're not going to want to talk for an hour about shoes. So you got to you got to give them a taste of, oh, so what's what's the highlight of your day right now? 
And that question, which no one has probably ever, ever asked them, or at least not recently, is going to light them up. And because we don't even think about that, it's like, huh, what is the best part of my day? Well, I just had this really good lunch with my friend and actually I hadn't seen her in a while and it was great to catch up. And now they're in a positive frame of mind. They associate those good feelings with you and they're going to want more of you. And they're probably going to ask for your phone number to get it. So that's the whole secret to the book right there. (laughs) But everyone wants to connect more deeply. Absolutely. I've never met someone who I've had resistance to connecting deeply because they didn't know how, or they were afraid to be a little bit more vulnerable, but everyone wants deep connection. I mean, no one wants to talk about the weather for 30 minutes. No one. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. And I'm wondering, you know, it's, I think it's good to hear for, especially since a lot of my listeners are men, I think it's, it's a good reminder that women are nervous too, and women are lonely too, and women want connection too. And feel like not confident, right? Not, not all women feel confident all the time. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. And so I think that's a great reminder of, you know, you, you leading, you creating connection out in the world can, can be a real gift and can, you know, be a sort of entree maybe for someone that doesn't know how to do it or is feeling kind of nervous or is, or does experience social anxiety, like you said, and that it it can just be a real gift to be, to be leading in terms of building connections. And I do think that, um, it's, it's worth having a few of these kinds of games or these kinds of prompts in your back pocket, because, you know, they did this really interesting study, a, a networking study where they gave they, they had different groups and one group, they just did sort of traditional straightforward networking. And I can't remember what the second group was. I can't remember what it was, but the third group was given certain prompts, like what are the best and worst parts of your job right now? Something like that. And that group had much higher satisfaction. They reported meeting more people. And, and I think they said something like, do you think you'll follow up with any of these people? And that percentage was also higher. So just any form of of depth is going to be received well, according to the research. So it's, it's worth having a few of these in your back pocket, which maybe we can segue into how do people find you and how do they find the book? Yeah. So, um, my book website is offline dating It's available on Amazon comes out August 31st. Uh, it's on Powell's it's on Hudson books, all the major platforms and it's audiobook, Kindle and paperback. And my business website is masterofflinedating.com. And then with my book, I've got a free three-step challenge, which follows the book. So people can sign up for that and be walked through kind of high-level tips from the book without being overwhelmed by the hundreds of tips in the book, <laughs> bite-sized tips, but still I like to give a lot of options. So that's cool. another way to start. Yeah. That's great. And you said that you also work with women and I'm wondering you know, what are some themes in terms of the, the struggles that women are having in terms of, of dating? Oh gosh. Same struggles as men, really. Um, I mean, my book was written for all genders and all sexual orientations. And so, um, for the points that I couldn't personally speak to as a, a hetero cis female, uh, I interviewed members of the LGBTQ community. I interviewed men basically People are scared. They're scared of rejection. They have social anxiety, especially after times of COVID and not connecting with people in person 
Um, so I love what you said about just imagine that it's a gift giving your connection. I have a quote in my book, um, perhaps the most radical act in a troubled time is to proceed as if you are needed. So if you just assume that you're able to give this gift to other people and you're doing people a favor by bringing connection that maybe they don't know how to start, but they, but everyone needs that's a positive reframe as opposed to a lot of the women I work with are, well, I don't want to be annoying. Oh my gosh. You could be the highlight of their day. You're not going to be annoying. It's, you know, go, go hit that tennis ball and, and see if they hit it back. They may not know how, maybe you make them smile and they don't know what to say, but they are, you just like gave them that hit of dopamine that they've been needing for weeks and just know that even if you don't get to see, see the result. <laughs> I'm really glad that you said that part about the fear of being annoying because I, I definitely hear that from men as well. And the fear of making her uncomfortable. I don't want to make her uncomfortable. So maybe it's better if I just don't say anything. And I I would just, yeah, urge everyone listening to remember everyone else is afraid of being, <laughs> being perceived as annoying as well. So it's not just you. Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And I, I used to teach workshops, which was a great target market research. Um, I taught over hundred workshops. So I would get live feedback. And I remember an older woman in her fifties said something like, well, guys say the weirdest things when they come up to me, like comment on my shoes or, you know, this or that. And I said, well, what would you like them to say? And she goes, oh, I don't, I don't know. And I was like, if you don't know, how are they supposed to know? (laughs) Like, it's not about your shoes. It's not about the weather. That is the intro to break the ice. Or actually, maybe it is about your shoes. And then the conversation's over. But don't shut them down because something, they didn't say the perfect line. And you're telling me that you don't even have a perfect line. And so, you know, like, just give people a break. (laughs) They're just trying to think on their feet. And I actually would do this exercise in my workshop where the women would where one, they would partner up, one would be the woman, one would wear a mask of a guy. I had like David Beckham and Prince William and stuff like that. And I would give them a scenario and they had to act it out. So the women would be in the place of the guy and they would see just how nerve wracking it is to try to start a conversation or try to respond on their feet. So everyone just got a better, got more uh, empathy for the other gender, you know, and, and the pressure that's on. So yeah, that's why keeping it casual is so much better. Just small, just hit the tennis ball. If they don't hit back, go talk to someone else, like keep up the momentum. I love that. I also did workshops in a similar vein. And I think that there's, I'm personally excited about virtual reality for things like this to actually have an, a felt experience of what it's like to switch, especially for, yeah. Cause the, the thing is the only human beings in the world that get to have both experiences are trans folks of this is the felt experience of being a woman in the world and a felt experience of being a man. And the research and articles I've read about those people's experience is fascinating, absolutely riveting. Hmm. But for the rest of us that are, you know, feel identified with the gender we were assigned at birth, there's, there's inherently a gap in our experience, right? There it's, it's, it's always a good exercise to switch and to actually take the actions or have that experience of, you know, for example, if you're in a relationship where one of you wants sex more than the other, just somehow getting a felt experience of the others, the other's experience in some way can be transformative because you start to grasp, oh, wow, that's what it's like. That's what it's like for you. 
and it's not easy, but I think it's very worthwhile to actually attempt to, to do that, to switch. And I've had a number of circumstances lately, even of just extending myself in an act of generosity and the other person feeling a little like, oh God, that, you know, that was a lot, you know, thank you so much. And also like, I feel a little guilty. And I've said something like, if it were switched, would you do it? And they've said, oh, definitely. And I said, well, there you go, right? If, if I were in need the way you are, I trust that you would want to do the same. So then it kind of switches their mindset of like, oh yeah, you're right. It's just an old fear or an old pattern or like, well, what am I going to owe you? I think because a lot of people grew up in houses where there was a lot of unspoken covert contracts around if I give to you, then you owe me. And so there's just, there's some fear around receiving. That's what I've experienced myself and seen in a lot of clients. But then if you switch it, you say, listen, if it were switched and I was the one who needed this ride to, you know, somewhere or needed something, I think you would do it. I really believe you'd be there. And they were like, oh, definitely. And it's sort of eased some of that tension. So yeah, I have high hopes for for more ways that we can have a felt experience of that. But I, I, I mean, that's such a simple one in a workshop scenario of switching just with masks. You know? it's like, yeah. <laughs> and like totally ridiculous looking masks. Like you, you, you couldn't take it too seriously, but it, it got the point across. So it was perfect. And, and it allows you to empathize with, yeah, whether it's your partner who they want less sex than you and putting yourself in their shoes. I mean, I think that's just good practice anyway for anything of, okay, let me think of, let me think about this from your perspective, because it's so easy to take things personally of, well, they're just doing this to annoy me or, you know, this is all about me. And it's like, no, they're actually, I've been in in relationships like this before where it's, I'm like, this is just me expressing my need. This is not me trying to, you know, say something that annoys you or, or win, like the win is that we get on the same page and understand and respect each other. That's the win. I don't need to prove my point. I just want you to understand where I'm coming from. And if your partner doesn't have that same ability, they're going to think everything is anti them. And that's just incompatible as I've learned the hard way, you know, (laughs) (laughs) several times, (laughs) but, um, but yeah, that's, that's just empathy and, and, connection. I mean, you want to be, you want to have a partner who's going to want to understand your perspective. You know, I mean, that's sexy. And both partners have to do that. If just one partner is doing that, they're going to get burned out and be like, well, I understand your perspective. Don't you want to understand mine? And why aren't you asking questions until you do? Yeah. And that kind of brings us full circle to, I think that there's there is an element of the deeper work that's needed to be in a healthy relationship and the deeper work that's needed to be right with your sexuality. Cause I know I work with men who say, yeah, I approach, I do all these things, but I'm not getting results. And a lot of what we work on is them getting right with their own sexuality, them getting right with their own grounded sense of this is me. I, I like sex. I want sex. And that's an okay part of me because if you're stuffing that away or you're, you're ashamed in many ways, it's going to come across, not necessarily your shame is going to come across, but you're, you've sort of cut off your sexual drive and that's going to get you limited results. And it's the same for women. What I've seen, cause I've worked with both, um, hetero women and men. I've worked with LGBTQ populations too, but what I'm discussing here is sort of the male-female dynamic of dating. And what I've seen is that for women who've cut off sex, their sexuality, 
it's almost like they become invisible. They, they report things like I go, I go out, I'm never noticed. I never, I'm never asked out. And there's like this invisibility. It's like they're wearing an invisibility cloak a bit of like, Mm -hmm. they're there, but they're not being seen right. As, as sort of a sexual being or, or even seen at all, there's a strange invisibility thing. And for men, it's sort of like a friend zone cloak, right? They're seen, but they're put in a certain category repeatedly, which is exceedingly frustrating for them. So mm-hmm. I do think that it's important to name there is a deeper, there is deeper work to be done around things like attachment and sexuality that that is going to have a direct impact on how connection goes for you, whether that's online or offline as, you know, it's part of the package here, right? It's not just, you know, that, that feeling of desperation, for example, or taking things personally is often a deeper, there needs to be deeper work done there because just trying to do it from your head of like, I'll just take a different perspective. It'll work a little bit, but not as much as doing the real depth work, um, which is, yeah, it's just, I've seen it change. I've seen it change everything. I've also seen it change who you're attracting, who, who you're approaching and who is approaching you offline. And that's, I think one of the most exciting parts. I don't know about you, but watching people grow in this area of connection and especially depth and grounding is they start getting approached, right? Instead of always being the one reaching out, they start getting approached and it's, they're like, Whoa, this is different. (laughs) Have you seen that as well? Oh, totally. Yeah. When you, um, so my book is actually three steps of a whole nine step method and the prequel book that I've already written, that's going to come out is about getting to know your own value and yourself and your conviction and, knowing what you bring to the table, because that's the precursor to becoming magnetically approachable is you just, you own it. And it doesn't mean 24 seven, you own it. I mean, gosh, I have my days, don't worry, but it's, it's knowing who you are and the value you bring and that you're worthy and you're unique in these ways. And it's being intentional and purposeful about it. I have workbooks and stuff to pull that out of people because we are all unique and different and we won't resonate with everyone. And that's a good thing because you want to find the right people to draw, but you have to know who you are before you you can show who you are. I like that. You have to know who you are before you show who you are. It's great. Okay. So uh, as we wrap up, we, we just remind people where they can get the book and if they're interested in, in learning more about you. Sure. Uh, you can find the book at offlinedatingmethod.com. That's also where my free challenge is. I'll have my uh, online courses on there, links for coaching. The book is available on Powell's, Amazon, Barnes & Noble. Just Google offline dating and in Google and it, I or my book will come up. <laughs> wow. Nice job nailing that keyword. <laughs> <laughs> Hey guys, I touched on the deeper work needed to actually move forward in your sex and love life on this episode. And I just wanted to mention that if you're looking for a way to go deeper than the podcast and you're interested in potentially working with me and my co-coach, Jason Lang, it's a great idea to watch our free training that you can find at evolutionary.men slash training. It's called how to take control of your love life. And if you're looking for a deeper way to get involved and to learn more and to maybe get started on that deeper work, I would encourage you to go to evolutionary.men slash training and check it out.